velvety soft bath hands and some real thud in the back, leading to moments like this and McConaughey, and he's snaking his way through, and in Clark to Glanville, fucking a singer is standing, waiting, pouncing. Big Joel makes his a double. Oh, he's gone through on his own. Josh Matabesi, ender of worlds, destroyer of walls. Spencer whips it away. Beautifully done. Gavin scored. The two young bucks who underline their love of this place earlier in the week. Orlando Bailey and Max Ajomo conspire in thrilling fashion. Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug. The rugby podcast by the fans for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. The kings of the West Country, boys in blue, black and white. Gloucester downed, Bristol downed and now on Saturday, Exeter Chiefs downed 41-24. To talk all about it, I am delighted to be joined as ever by my good friend and fellow Bath fan Tom. How you doing, mate? Yeah, as predicted at the start of the season, we are ruling the West Country as things stands and nearly ruling the league, mate. Back up to second place with eight games out of 18 done. So well over a quarter of the season done. I am correct in saying that this time. Nearly halfway there. And yeah, the big first chunk of the season done into Europe. And yeah, things things are flying by, G, and it's a, it's a good time to be a Bath fan. Certainly is joint top of the league, only behind Sale Sharks on matches won at this stage, which having done this first block and, and being in that position is a really, really great effort from Bath. And the, the league is crazy. All three of the teams that entered the round in the top three places all lost during the weekend, but Bath have managed to find themselves towards the top and another really great win against Exeter 41-24. A game that you were at the rec for, Tom, and no Bath rugby plug live. I'm pretty disappointed to see. We, uh, no, we, 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 we decided not to. I, um, the, the, the people I were with, um, didn't want the embarrassment. I don't think of, of, of <laughs> doing that all over again, but we're, we're, um, we certainly enjoyed the day. And to be honest, it was probably actually too cold to operate a phone with your bare fingers. It was freezing at the rack. Very chilly, but but kind of bright and calm day. Sun kind of shining through, particularly in the in the first half before it it kind of descended into a, a hazy, cold grimness. Uh kind of be much above above freezing. But yeah, the, the city looked stunning. Uh, it was it was a great occasion. Packed out crowd once again and kind of just reminder really of how lucky we are to play at the rec to play in right in the city center to play in you know bang in in the middle of a unesco world heritage site it's a it's a fantastic setting and um yeah thoroughly enjoyed it great day out and um yeah uh we weren't the only ones going back to the rec as well Jeeves. so mesa rocco de Guni as well we, we got sight of him as well obviously a prolific try scorer in the past for bath and many fans and players were pleased to see him so a great occasion all round then i have to say i think speaking to people before during and after the game spirits are very very high it's you know it's been a very tough few years being a bath fan being a podcaster for bath as well but it really does feel like things are on the up and obviously famous last words touch wood all of that but it was a it was a cracking day out yeah we're going to get into all the detail 
of the game on Saturday. We're going to get into a lot of that detail as well with friend of the podcast, Tom Dunn, who will be joining us in around 10, 15 minutes time on the Bath Rugby Plug to talk all about that and the season so far. And also do our shirt giveaway. We've got our winner. We know who it is. Dunny knows who it is. And then this podcast, you will learn if it is you that has won the signed Tom Dunn shirt. 158 participants, you know, social media going off. We've never seen that kind of engagement. And yeah, so thanks to everyone, everyone that got involved with that. And we will, we'll be announcing that surely. Yeah. Yeah. Although I think we did slightly cock up the, the permutations of it, but um, yeah, we've worked it out and we do have a, we do have a worthy winner. Well, a completely random winner, but hopefully a worthy winner. Um, teething problems, teething problems, many more to come. So stay following us on Instagram. You can't, as it turns out, retweet a story or whatever that is, as we found out, but we <laughs> are all learning. <laughs> we are all learning, Tom. We're learning much more about this Bath team as we get into it. And I'll start by asking you this. I've watched the game back this evening in slightly warmer conditions than, than you watching it on Saturday. And Matt Banahan, who was on commentary for TNT Sports, described it as our best performance of the season so far. Would you incur with the would you concur with the Bath great on that? I think I think it's tough. I think there were parts of the second half that I would say were possibly the best and most cohesive rugby that we played, particularly during that 10 minute period when, when Exeter were down to, 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 to 14 men, Stuart Townsend went off and we just went on a bit of a blitz and some of the handling was absolutely fantastic. We've had some good performances this year. I think it's hard to look past that second half performance and the overall performance at, at King's home. I thought that was, that was absolutely fantastic um likewise you know you look to the start of the season and we went to the hardest place in the league to win against a decent enough Saracen side and played some really good stuff to to put them away as well so I think yeah probably between that and the Gloucester game for me but I think it's certainly clear that we are building and becoming a more rounded side and I think particularly in areas such as discipline we were fantastic against Exeter and also I think what's been notable is how our attacking game has developed I think we'd be over 40 defenders in that game against Exeter, a solid Exeter defence that's you know, it's known for, for not conceding too many tries. And I think, yeah, that part of our game's coming together. So I think we're a better side than we were. We're a better side than we have been at any point this season. We're getting better and better, which is, which is clearly very positive. I think second half at King's Home, given the atmosphere, given the setting, probably just pips it for me. I personally agree with Banners. I think it was overall our best performance of the season. I think we could have been out of sight at half time, to be honest with you. Um, and and the, the scoreline ultimately probably reflected the game that we saw, Bath winning nice and comfortably in the end, taking the full five points, extra leaving with nothing. But I think that that could almost have been the case at half time. We were so dominant pretty much throughout the game. It was only kind of small errors and, and, and handling errors that, that let us down. I think we'd made seven handling errors on the 28-minute mark. Um, and it was just small errors like that was, that was letting us down. But we were constantly getting inside their 22. We dominated them physically. We dominated them in, in the territory, in the discipline battle. Um, and I think on another day, we, we, we could have 
run away with that game a lot a lot sooner than we did. And if you look at kind of Exeter's tries, they scored the one at the end when we'd made loads of changes and they scored two from kind of one phase line out moves, which was really, really disappointing from a Bath point of view, but they were just never kind of having sustained periods of pressure. And I think, yeah, the gloss of the second half was good and, and the Saracens win was was really good in parts. I think as an overall performance, um, this was our best of the season. Um, we, 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 we kind of dismantled extra. I feel like we, it was a litmus test. I think I said on last week's podcast for this young extra side and also for this Bath side who, who have struggled against chiefs. And, and I think we really passed that and there were some outstanding performances, but I think as an 80 minute performance that that was our best showing. Yeah. I, 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 I think I agree on an overall basis, you know, the, the discipline thing in particular. I think at one point it was 13-3 in terms of penalties. You know, X will clearly be disappointed with that. And they, particularly during that that 10-minute Symbian period, let themselves com- compound errors. Our scrum, which has struggled over the last couple of games, as I'm sure we'll get onto with Dunny, started to to really tell and to really become dominant. Um, so, yeah, that was that was great. I think as well we showed that, yeah, to young Exeter side, but we showed that we have some world-class international pedigree that at times was a cut above what Exeter were able to offer. And the guy I would pick out, I think, mm. is Sam Underhill, who in person, I think you you possibly notice it more. And there were some huge collisions right in front of the posts. We were kind of front, second row of the, the, the Thatcher's Terrace there. Some of the collisions that he was making, you know, when he's at his best, he marauds round the, the rugby field, just murking people, folding people up. And then he is over the ball like a vice. And I thought he was, he was absolutely fantastic. And then again, Ben Spencer, who is on some run of a season, I thought at times he just showed that he had too much class for, for Exeter and for his, for his opposite man. And wow. you know, for, for, for people that haven't seen the, the, the try that he scored and created from absolutely nothing, selling a dummy, going down the blind side, linking up with Big Joe and getting over in the corner that is outrageous rugby and we had a little bit too much extra in those moments yeah we've done a lot of podcasts in person recently we're doing this one back over zoom as the listeners may have worked out at this point but it's almost like you you've read my notes that are here in front of me and you're you're kind of copying my answers i thought it was a clinic of a scrum up performance from from ben spencer you know extra have got two more inexperienced scrum offs and yeah, it, it absolutely showed the the quality of that position when when there was such a gulf in in the class between two scrum halves on a pitch. It, it can really, um, and I may be biased saying this, but it can really kind of dictate the game. And I thought that's exactly what happened. His control, um, he was just bossing that game, and and he was just napping at the heels of of Townsend and and then the young lad that that came on. They they, I mean, yeah, they're not at the level of Spencer, and, and that showed. And I thought he was. He was absolutely outstanding. And and yet on Underhill, he ultimately got the, I think he got the Paul Roger. Um, Paul, that's another shout out for you. We're still waiting on the sponsorship. Um, and he got the Matt Banahan Gallagher Premiership Player of the Match. Um, I would have given it to Spencer myself because um, I think Underhill did well um, over the ball, but there was a couple of, I think he dropped the ball three times, also gave away a penalty, which led to to their try. So I think it was more up and down performance from Underhill, maybe in person, it was slightly different. I thought Spencer was was really, really good. Red Path as well, outstanding. And and I thought Barbary is particularly right at the start and at the end of the game, provided some some carrying go forward that 
we've needed over previous seasons and, 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 and haven't quite seen from him yet. But I thought that was was one of his best games. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised that Banners went for Sam Underhill. Um, what you notice more in person, as, as you alluded to, is when he's just rearranging other guys who yeah. are 100, 110 kilos. And it was frightening to see and to hear in action. Um, but yeah, some, some really good performances on, on Barbary. I agree. I think definitely his best performance in a Bath shirt. I think with him, he's still not quite there physically. I think that you, you kind of look at the fully strapped left knee and think, or oh, maybe is he, is, is that more than precaution? I don't think it is. I think that's purely a, a psychological thing, but he showed his kind of opportunism and opportunism and rugby brain with, you know, finding a way to burrow through that mall on five minutes and get over the line. And then a nice kind of Tongawea-esque pickup mm. from the base of the ruck and streaking over in front of the bar fans. And what I really like about him as well is clearly how much passion and how much desire to win and how much he's enjoying being at the club. You know, I know he's living with Tom de Glanville. Those on social media will will have seen some of the, the shit they get up to playing garden cricket in the summer. The, the state of the Christmas tree decorations that they did over the weekend as well were quite quite amusing. So he seems like a really good guy to have around the, the camp. And I think he's he's slowly starting to get better and to show what he can do because as you say a ball carrier is is kind of what we've been what we've been after um final shout out, i think you know we should mention it on individual performances was was Beno Abano as well i think he again was very very physical and started to turn the screw on the scrum in that in that second half against you know who is uh, supposedly you know a very good scrummager in 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 Aaron Painter so yeah overall some some bright lights and I think some a really polished, well-rounded performance that I think we can be very happy with and, and build on going forward. And of course, we must mention the man that we are about to have on the podcast, Tom Dunn, another strong showing. Let's, Tom, get into a bit more detail about this victory with the Bath Hooker himself. And here he is, Bath Hooker, business partner, 200 appearance maker for Bath, since we last spoke to him. Tom Dunn, thank you very much for joining the Bath Rugby Plug. Hi guys, how you doing? Good to be here. Yeah, really good, thank you, Danny. You've, um, you look a bit battered and bruised, a few cuts on the faces. I think you said before we hit record that that's 10 games on the bounce for you now. How's the, the body holding up? Uh, the body's good. The body's actually feeling great. Um, obviously, it's been more rotation this year within the squad. Mm. So although it has been 10 on the bounce, it hasn't been... 10, 70 minutes, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah, and I think it was, um, of those 10, another really great win on Saturday against Exeter Chiefs. And your former teammate, Matt Banahan, was on commentary for TNT Sports, and he described it as our best performance of the season. Um, would you agree with Banners on that? Um, yes, yeah, I probably would. I mean, it's probably the closest to being an 80-minute performance we've had. I still feel like we left a lot of points out there, um, especially in the first half in their 22. Weren't massively, um, didn't execute massively well. So probably still a fair bit of growth within us. But um, yeah, it was good. I was going to ask, like, you know, we, I think the last time we spoke to you or had, had you on the podcast properly was probably towards the back end of, of last season. It seems from the outside in that we've come on a lot since then and that this season we are proper contenders for top four and, and, and hopefully beyond. 
what do you think like over that time so i don't know the last six eight months when you look at that how what what, what do you think we're doing so much better than we were oh there's not you know i think the last time i was on the pod i mentioned the analogy about turning a big ship and it takes a long time to turn a big ship and it's probably just that it's the effect of that you know we're not doing anything massively different to last year we're just executing everything a little bit better um and when way we want to play if you can just execute everything and know and know your job you can put pressure on other teams and then when they start to make mistakes you, we start to look better you know it's a real simple game rugby if you if you, if you make less mistakes from the other team you tend to win yeah, and we certainly did that on <clears throat> on Saturday. I think a, a key turning point in the in the game, or certainly seemed like from from our point of view, was the the yellow card for for their scrum half. I think we managed to score three tries in that period. How easy or or difficult is it to to play um, when the opposition are, are down to fourteen men? Is there is there kind of more pressure on you, or, or is it just a lot easier because they are ultimately a man short? It ultimately depends as well on what position it is that's off the pitch. You know, for me personally, if it's a 13 or a winger, it doesn't make much odds to me. Um, if it's uh, you know, a starting tight head or if it's a hooker and they've got to do lineouts without a hooker, then you know, you, you, you're in the money a bit as a front row boy. You know, you know what's coming. But I think on the weekend, um, it's actually our, our discipline that got us in the game. I think we only gave conceded five penalties the whole game. Mm. Um, which is, you know, if you're only going to concede five penalties, a team like Exeter, who are brilliant when they get close to 22, if you restrict them to only two entries, although disappointingly they did score twice, but um, you've got, you're better odds of winning the game. Yeah, I, was, I think that's spot on. And, and we, we, we managed to start getting some penalties against them um, and forcing them into penalties, particularly towards the end of the game and in, in, into that Simbin period. Want to ask you about the scrum? We've 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 been saving saving talking about about that. It's I, I I've I well from my point of view, it's at times been a bit hot and cold this season. It was challenging against Sale um, and in the latter part of that Bristol game when when we had Carl Sinclair come on and and you know a few penalties went against us against Exeter on Saturday. It looked really really solid, and I think particularly towards the the end of the game, it started to turn. In our, in our favour, the big ship starts to turn in our favour, Danny. How do you how do you assess the scrum? How's it been? And also, how's it been working with with Thomas the Toy playing on playing on both sides and all over the place? Yeah, I mean the scrum. I think the scrum. We've always had. Oh, I say we always had. I've always think we've had a dominant scrum and a big powerful scrum. But it was um, probably the start of the year. It was a little bit like a, a bazooka. It was kind of going off. It wasn't particularly accurate. Um, but in the last four or five weeks, we've kind of turned into a bit of a sniper. So we're kind of more accurate with the, with the damage we can cause. Um, and Thomas has been fantastic with that and building that and understanding that. And I've really enjoyed working with him because he, he's from a different background. He's not worked with coaches I've worked with before. It's completely fresh. So the way he looks at things, is, it's like a different different point of view on things. So um, yeah, I'm really impressed with him playing loose and tight and he's quality at both. So yeah, he's been a great addition to have. And we probably need to get Thomas on the podcast to, to ask this question, but you you might have some insight, well, definitely more insight than us, as to just why it's so difficult and so rare to play loose head and tight head. You know, people switch from left wing to right wing. People switch from loose head 
um, lock to tight head lock, blind side to open side, inside to outside center. There's a lot of versatility, but it does seem like loose head prop to tight head prop is such a niche skill. Why is it so difficult? For me, all the positions you mentioned there, when they change positions, they change tactically and mentally. Like you have to play slightly differently. Like the strategic side of things are different. Yeah. Um, you said and tight head are the same as that, but they're also very physically different. Um, you know, if you're playing left wing or right wing, I've never played that myself, but I think physically it's probably the same job. You just yeah. knowledge wise to change. But loose head and tight head, the pressure you're going through your body in different angles, different places, and it's a lot to do with feel. So I always say scrummaging, like with trust and feel, that's how you win scrums. You, you, how, you, how does it feel to you? Because every scrum is different, so you can't always do the same thing. Um, so that ability to understand how it feels and then have the physical output to be able to do, to do both, that's, that's what I think the difference is. Yeah, they sound like absolutely brutal. I, I, another, another thing that maybe listeners or another person that listeners probably won't have heard too much about or seen too much of is Archie Griffin. He's been involved in the 23 a bit more, particularly over the last, the last month or so. Maybe just a few words on, on how he's come through from, from, from the academy and, 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 you know, the type of player he is and what, what, what fans can kind of expect. Yeah, Archie's been, Archie's been brilliant this year. I mean, you won't mind me saying he struggled with injuries. Um, he struggled with injuries for his first couple of years in the academy. But what that gave him was time to get in the gym and it, got, it gave him time to get big and gave him time to get strong. Uh, he, he's very dedicated and he watches a lot of rugby. He's a big rugby fan. And I think that, that speaks volumes um, on the pitch. You know, People who watch a lot of rugby train hard tend to be good players. Um, their, their knowledge base is good. He understands what his job is. He understands what his role is. And he's physically, he's got, he's got the beans to do the job. So I think there's some brilliant things to come from Archie. Um, I think it's probably a curse. Oh, what's the saying there? Blessing and a curse. A curse and a blessing. The fact <laughs> he's got Thomas and Stewie ahead of him. Mm. Uh, you know, like he's got two international tight heads ahead of him, but he can learn so much and then he can prove himself in some real tough situations in training that can make him better. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see how, I call him Pudding, to see how Pudding kicks off. <laughs> And all, all of these guys being marshaled, I believe, by um, Stevie Scott, who is new this season. And Richard Blaze, I'm sure, has some influence on it being more of the forward-based assistant coaches. What's it been like working with those guys and, and what have they brought to, to your game in particular? Um, Stevie's been great. Stevie, Stevie's really helped me with my leadership as well around the scrum. Um, he, he's a very wise man, but he's been around the block a bit. So he isn't the kind of coach who sits and says, we are doing this. He reads the room well. He understands what the players want. And I think if the if all the front row, all the back five buy into what we're doing, even if it might be the wrong plan, tends to go better. If eight people all buy in and all push in the same direction, it's a massive win. Um, we've got that in abundance at the minute in the scrum. I think, you know, you look, watch our flankers, how they're scrummaging, they're investing in the scrum, they're putting time into it, they're putting effort into it. They think it's important. So that, that's a big part of what Stevie's brought to us. Um, Blazy, I've really enjoyed for his detail. Um, I'm a bit of a stat man, I'm a bit of a detail-driven bloke and he, he feeds that really well for me. Mm. So it's his partnership personally. But also he's got, um, I don't like bigging him up, but he's got that Leicester edge to him, probably from 20 years ago when he played, or 30 years when he played, and how old he is. Um, <laughs> but he's got that Leicester edge to him where they train hard and they work hard and they don't take no nonsense. But underlying with that is a lot of detail and 
um, the science behind what we're doing. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying working with both of them. Scraps, scraps with uh, Julian White um, on the training field would definitely, definitely harden you up. Last one on scrums. Can, and then, he's also, he's only 38, Richard Blaze, so not yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, last one on scrums and then we will move on but you know it, it, it can be perceived by fans as a bit of a lottery particularly you know referee interpretation plays such a big part right you've played everyone now in the league apart from Harlequins you've been involved mm-hmm. in every game at, at various points who which say one or two teams would you say are the most impressive scrum outfit out there and and, and why like what things do you identify when you look at those teams well, there's, there's, there's two ways of looking at this question. There's uh, the most powerful, strong, confrontational scrum, and there's probably the smartest scrum. I don't want to say this politely, really. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, like, uh, I don't think this season we've had, I'm going to be very careful how I say this, but all the penalties we've given away this season, there haven't been many that are, like we've not been dominant. Like maybe we've been dominant for going forward through one side or not the mm. other side. We've been over leaning. We've been pre-engaging, engaging through the mark. These are messy penalties, but they're not on receive. If that makes sense. Um, I'm trying to think now. I think Joey Hayes scrum is very well against us when he played for Leicester. I think Leicester had a, were a decent scrum. Um, and then I think, as you said, the Bristol game in the second half, they were clever. They were very clever. You know, Kyle. I would say bought a couple of penalties, but he won a couple of penalties. Um, and they, they were a clever scrum. They, they, they boxed smart. We've spoken a lot then, Danny, about other coaches, other players, other teams. But how do you think your game has gone so far this season? I know, you know, we've spoken about England aspirations and conversations with Steve Borthwick and it's a new World Cup cycle. Um, you're playing so regularly for Bath starting more often than not. Are you happy with, with how it's gone so far? And do you think you've kind of brought new things to your game this season? Uh, I think it's been steady, mate, if I'm honest. I've not probably not hit the form I've hit in previous years, but then I, I wouldn't say I'm letting the team down. Um, yeah, there's definitely more of a, um, I say elusive is a strong word, but a passing game maybe to what I'm doing this year compared to what I've done in the past. Um, and Probably a lot of learning to do in the line-out as well. The line-out in the first three or four weeks probably wasn't good enough for me. Um, that's probably to knowledge-based stuff and my ability to learn rather than my ability to execute. So I think we've got over those teething, those teething um, mistakes as such. So yeah, I think hopefully it's going to keep improving. My, I feel like there's still more in me. I still feel like I'm, I can add some more to my game. So I still think there's more to come and it's been steady so far. Who, who was it? The uh, the little offload out the back, at the the back of the mall. Was that Sarri's? I want to say that was. Newcastle. That was who? Newcastle at home. Newcastle at home. First game of the season. Start it off strong. Yeah. You've asked me to improve my handling game. Have a look at that, Sonny Bill Williams. <laughs> um, last, last, maybe last question for you on your on you know your game and how it's been going. An old time second row partnership back on Saturday. <laughs> I never thought I'd see it again. Yules, Stu. Loved it. Absolutely loved seeing Elliot Stoke back out there, um, giving it a large to the fans after the game in the clubhouse as well. As as I'm, as I'm sure you can, as I'm sure you can imagine. Good having those guys back as a partnership, and you know, presumably they know they know, and you know their game inside out. That must help things at, at the lineout time in particular. 
Yeah, no, it's been brilliant to have Stukes about. He, he's not changed at all in character. <laughs> he's gained a bit of weight and lost a bit of hair. But apart from that, <laughs> and we all. <laughs> yeah, it was it was certainly great to see Stukey back in in a in a bath shirt. Um, speaking of bath shirts, then we were lucky enough to have a Tom Dunn signed bath shirt to give away as part of the partnership with Black and White Butchers. Check out their Instagram um, at Black and White Butchers. And Tom, you've done it. You've got the name of the person that we will be sending the shirt to. So a reminder, you had to like the post on Instagram, follow us and follow Tom Dunn's Black and White Butchers. And we were going to random select, randomly select a winner of the signed Tom Dunn shirt. So Dunny, take it away. Cool, mate. So let me press the button, see what happens. Right, okay. So the winner of the shirt is Toby Kershaw. Toby Kershaw. Congratulations, you have just won yourself a signed Tom Dunn shirt. Get in touch with us on Twitter or on Instagram with your address and we'll get that sent over to you um, as a nice early Christmas present. Um, yeah, impressive, impressive style there, Danny. You've, you've, you've got yourself a, you, you know, you've got yourself a spot in, in media after you, after you hang out your boots. If black and white doesn't turn out, that's for sure. So that's a bit more time between saying it. I wasn't sure. <laughs> a little drum roll. We'll, we'll edit it. We'll edit it. Um, last thing then, you know, you're, 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 you're a very humble guy, um, but you did pass a big milestone for Bath against Southampton Saints earlier in the season. I saw you sat down with Nathan Catt for kind of 20, 25 minutes. Um, it looked like you were sat in a cinema or something. I imagine that is your idea of an absolute, of absolute hell. But... You know, 200, 200 appearances for, for Bath. Not many have done that. You, you, you follow in the footsteps of, of the guy we mentioned just earlier, Matt Banahan. Um, I don't want to say what did it mean to you, but do you, do, you, do you care about these sorts of things? Does it make you proud or is it just, is it just another game and you feel like you've got more that you want to achieve in a, in a Bath shirt? Um, it obviously means something to me. The actual game itself was just a game. Um, it's more the, the story behind it and... You know, people that know me know that it wasn't like I was um, 16 playing for England and then got signed at 18 and then pushed through and it all happened very easily. So that's why it probably means a bit more to me. It's a bit more special. Um, I feel like I did it the hard way. Um, but there's still hopefully more to achieve. Like I said it before, I, I really want to get remembered as someone who played 200 and X amount of games for Bath Rugby. I want to be remembered as Tom Dunn, who won a competition in 2023, 2024. Mm. That's, that's, that's my end goal. Um, would I trade in caps to win things and things like that? I'm not sure, but I'm very proud of it. Um, it, it means a lot to me, um, but ultimately I want to be remembered as someone who won something. So that, that's, that's the memory that I want to leave in the shirt. Well, we're, we're, we're not doing too bad this season and um, you've not done too bad for a, uh... A, a prop who was too small who who started throwing rugby balls at the line out like he was like he was throwing darts. Um, yeah, you're definitely a, a fan favourite, and yeah, we, we, we hopefully that's not the end. If we do if we do go on and, and win something this season, we want to see you go 250 and 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 beyond. Because um, yeah, it's, it's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I don't know. We we certainly said earlier on this podcast it's been a tough few seasons being a Bath fan. I imagine it's been a tough few seasons. Uh, being a Bath player and I remember the scenes of you after that King's Zone defeat and how how tough that was then 
um, it feels like things are on are on are on the up again. So the mood in the camp, I hope, is 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 reflective of that. And yeah, we're certainly confident that we can go on and achieve some stuff this season and, and beyond. Yeah, massively. Um, we couldn't agree more, mate. We we we've been through some hard times. I mean, I'm only 31 and I look about 46. So <laughs> that, the rugby or the results, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I think the mood in camp is pretty brilliant. At the minute, I think the biggest change you probably feel it in the crowd is. We always used to hope we'd win. We'd hope this could be the year, kind of. But now it's almost a bit more of a belief. Like we believe we're good enough. So now it's about just putting into putting into action what we can do. Yeah, and it's been a great start. And and on to Europe we go. Danny, thank you so much for for joining us and, and everything you've done for for the Bath Rugby Plug and for Bath fans this season. Hopefully, much more to come this season and beyond. Um, and thank you again for joining us. Cheers, chaps. Thanks for the support. I'll see you all soon. Thank you very much to Tom Dunn for again joining us here on the Bath Rugby Plug. And Toby, congratulations. Do get in touch with us and we will get that all sorted. From one bold man with a big beard to potentially another bold man with a big beard joining Dunny at the wreck. Tom, it was reported on Saturday morning um, by J.F. Bertrand in L'Equipe that R.G. Snyman, the towering South African lock, had agreed a deal to join Bath starting next season. Um, it was confirmed, I think, last week, early part of last week, that R.G. Snyman would be leaving Munster. Um, and then obviously off the back of that, this was reported. Tom, this news came to you as you were travelling down on the train to the wreck. How did you initially react? Well, it's a reaction I've had before whilst doing this podcast. You know, are, Bath, are, the, are the top cheeses at Bath listening to us? You know, you, in, to, be, to your credit, during your scepticism about the Finn Russell signing, have said that exactly what we need is a world-class and big second row that, you know, with, with the salary cap increasing by £1.4 million into next season... It looks like that's exactly what we have our eyes on, G. I mean, can't argue the last bit. He is certainly a big, big man called the Viking, which um, I quite enjoyed. And we've obviously got our very own Viking and we, we, who, who we just saw on this, on this, on this podcast, um, particularly in the, in, in the days of the mullet. But yeah, six foot nine, 130 kilos, South African lock, huge amount of physicality, clearly good lineup operator, and a kind of carrying and offloading game, which, as we actually said earlier tonight, is something that we've missed. So initial reaction, very, very positive, um, particularly given the, the the composition of the, the squad we have so far. And not a huge amount of surprise, right? I mean, look at the recruitment policy so far under Jürgen van Grant, bringing across Chris Clerter and Matt Gallagher from Munster, both of whom have been great, and also packing out our pack in particular with Sappers. Jürgen Van Graan's worked with him, knows him very well, coached him from school, apparently, according to, 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 to one report I read. So, yeah, initially very, very positive. Obviously, still a rumour. Um, but yeah, it's, he, he has struggled with injuries as well, G. He has struggled with injuries. And I'm, I'm going to probably play devil's advocate a little bit later, but... 
I think I did even say the name RG Schneiman when I was saying who I wanted Bath to sign. We have been lacking for a number of years a physical nasty lock that is on the verge of doing something stupid and just lives on the edge um, and don't take any prisoners. And that is exactly what we would get if we if we signed RG Schneiman. Johan knows him so well, as you say. He's a, he, Johan said he's a player I've coached since his schoolboys, coached in Masafka and Munster. Um, so, yeah, oh, Johan knows him well. JP Ferreira will know him really, really well. So hopefully that relationship kind of makes this even more of a possibility and then if it was to happen um which is kind of being widely reported now that it will um then that'll hopefully kind of improve the the integration period for for a player like rg schneiman you know aggressive physical nasty is exactly what i'm looking for albeit he's out injured with a shoulder i think he's just had shoulder surgery so he's out now until until march so i'm not sure if he'd be able to get involved in any training of any note until, you know, well into the, well into the last part of the season. Well, yeah, this would be at the end of the season, right? Yeah. Okay. I thought you were saying that it might be with immediate effect. Okay. Yeah. But what should we, should we? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so then the kind of other side of the coin, I, I guess Tom is, I think he's been at Munster now for um, two seasons and he's played 10 games. Um, he has struggled immensely with injuries. He's also got, commitments with South Africa um, and you know the the stars don't play as much in the URC as they do in the premiership but nonetheless he has struggled hugely with injuries Bath have in the past spent a lot of money on players that have spent a lot of time on the injury table Talupe Falatao is the, is the name that immediately springs to mind with that in mind a world-class player on his day but just never did it for, for Bath unfortunately so yeah, I think if he joins, it will be exciting. But I think I'll be nervous that that you know, will is he kind of coming to the end of his career, and and is he kind of a little bit injury prone at this point? Yeah, I mean he's only twenty eight years old, so you know you'd hope to think if he can stay fit, then he's got lots of rugby left in the tank. Twenty eight years old and a double World Cup winner. Um, He's been very, very unlucky in his monster career is one thing I would say, right? So he joined back in 2020. So obviously was was signed by Jürgen van Graan. He tore his ACL. He tore his ACL ligament seven minutes into his monster debut. He then returned from that, I think it was nine months later. And then just as he was about to return, he missed another few months following a fire pit incident, which I, I believe was a club uh, club uh, organized event where him and a couple of others, Deal Onde, I think, was was one of the other names I saw, had to have treatment following what was described as a fire pit incident. And there's some quite funny quotes on the Munster website when that incident was was released. Um, I won't do the impression, but Jermaine Graham making some quite funny, quite amusing, trite comments after these drunken lads had clearly just faffed around and fallen into some embers. So that didn't go well. He then came back from the five-bit incident, and maybe that's... Um, Sorry, maybe that's, please maybe that's do the impression. Um, I'm, uh, I won't be doing that on this on this, on this this podcast. Maybe we set up a Patreon. Um, yeah, he then came back, and in his fourth appearance for Munster... He re-ruptured his same cruciate ligament in his knee and he had 17 months out from that 
from that injury. So that's an absolutely brutal injury. Since he came back uh, towards the start of this year, or maybe even the back end of, of 2022, he's played with, with, with much more regularity, but then obviously has been involved with the, with the Springboks and in the, in the World Cup campaign. So I think he's capped 34, 38 times, um, something in, in that region. So he's, you know, he's had a decent number of appearances for the, for the Springboks. So it might be that that was just a, a couple of freak injuries and that those injuries have, have obviously played um, or have kept him out for, for such a long time, given the severity of, of, of those injuries. He's rumoured to be quite a big ticket, G. So we, we've, we've got used to big tickets with, with, our, with our big name signings. 450 grand is the rumour. But as I say, the salary cap increasing by just shy of 1.5 million next year. So I guess it, it makes sense from, from, from that point of view. You know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be in favour of it. I think it would be a, another huge splash I think, as you say, style of play and type of player itself, uh, or sorry, type of position itself is exactly what we need. Angie, the rumour that I, I I saw as well was that Munster tighthead prop Kenyon Knox might be coming across the RFC with him, presumably or potentially as a as a replacement for Will Stewart, if indeed as the rumour. Um, the rumor is going around as well during during silly season that he might be he might be heading to to Kingstone. So potentially a couple more Munster signings could uh, could kind of fizzle out and just be hot air. But I must admit the way that that Johan addressed the question in the press conference or whenever he was asked about it, I think it was it was fairly telling that at least there'd be some kind of dialogue there. Mm. Yeah, this one definitely feels like it's got legs doesn't it so um yeah wait wait and see on that one um we may at some point try to transition to europe be facing munster in europe but it won't be in the group stage tom we will be commencing our european challenge this saturday at home against ulster saturday 315 kickoff before we get into the match, um, it's probably a good idea to refresh our memories um, and refresh the listeners' memories about the new format of the now Investec Champions Cup because it seems to change every year and they never really quite seem to get it right. But this is what they're going for for the 2023-2024 edition. So there's four pools. We are in pool two. That consists of Toulouse, Cardiff, Racing, Harlequins and Ulster. We will play four pool matches. So we will play Ulster, Cardiff, Racing and Toulouse. Um, obviously not playing against Quins. Um, they are in the, the kind of same um, national league as us. The four highest ranked clubs in the pool of six will qualify for the last 16 quarterfinal stage. The fifth place side in each pool will go to the knockout stages of the Challenge Cup. And if you come bottom of your pool, you're out. Fairly straightforward into quarterfinals, semifinals and the final to be played on the 25th of May at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London. So I'm get that date in your diary. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of is what it is. Um, we will be starting our campaign against Ulster. And before we get into that, we'll be starting it in a um, 
rather strange colour. Bath will be playing in their red kits. The club are um, have got an initiative to try and paint the town red with some offers and certain um, businesses within Bath. So check that out if you are going to the game. Tom, what's it going to be like watching Bath in, in a quite strange kit colour? It is strange. I don't know. Kit nerds out there, um, I don't know, thinking thinking someone like Tom Davenet, who might he might be able to to get in touch if I'm if I'm wrong, but I don't think that we've ever played in red. Not kind of like full red. I'm quite a garish red that it is. I don't mind the kit itself. I think it it actually looks quite quite smart. And I must say the darker blue of the new kind of style home kit that we're wearing is 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 lovely. So Toby, you'll you'll enjoy that. Um I don't mind it, but it is. Yes, it's, 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 it does feel more like Gloucester colours. So, not convinced. Much prefer the kind of blacks that we've had recently, and obviously the the gold that we've 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 also played in previously. But those have tended to be to be away shirts. So, yeah, strange, strange thing. I said red. Not sure, but I can be as with as with as with any bath kit. I can be bought in. It's a monster colour, so. Um... You know, yeah. we're going that way in a lot of respect. That what you will. We'll be playing in. We'll be playing in um, in green and gold before we know it. <laughs> we'll be playing against Ulster. Ulster themselves sit seventh of sixteen in the United Rugby Championship, the URC, having won four of their seven games. They have lost their last two, most recently at home against. Um, Edinburgh, Tom, some names to watch here. So Dave Ewers, formerly of Exeter, Stephen Kitsoff, the um, South African Lucid, and Billy Burns, um, brother of Freddie and Irish International. How do you kind of see us matching up against Ulster? Yeah, I'd, I'd chuck out a couple more names as well. John Cooney, who's kind of the, the, the talismanic scrum half, and I, I believe where well, he certainly was captain when they, they came to the wreck for, for, for when they were in the same group of us of us back in back in 2019, Stuart McCloskey in the centres is quite a handy player, and then Balakoon, who is uh, an incredibly rapid and uh, uh, you know strong finisher as well. So it's a it's a good side. You know, I remember when they they did come to the wreck. They shaved us by one point. I think it was 16 17 back in 2019. I was actually there, and it was it was kind of heartbreak because we deserved to win that game, but the Dan McFarland style of play. It's, I think, fight for the inches is their mantra. And they certainly did. You know, they're very, very gritty. They're hard to roll over. They don't give you anything at all. They're, they're well-disciplined. And at that point, we were certainly none of those things. So <laughs> they, they, they would have been licking their lips at, at the prospect of, of, of turning us over and ultimately us making mistakes. We're clearly, to be honest, have headed much more in that direction and that kind of style of play under under Jürgen van Grand. So I expecting this to be a very, very close encounter, to be honest. You know, it is always tough playing these URC sides in Europe. We're just coming out of eight rounds on the bounce of the premiership. It feels like it's been a um a strange, hectic roller coaster ride of a of a first premiership period. Ulster with a much bigger squad and not the expectation that players play every week will have been rotating much more heavily than than, than we will have done. Um, and I, yeah, I do think overall it's going to be difficult for premiership teams to compete, particularly in the latter stages of Europe. So we'll see how we match up with them in terms of energy, in terms of fitness, in terms of freshness. But I think, yeah, just looking at it, it, it just on paper, 
also look a good side. They've had good wins over Munster, actually, and over the Bulls, who are both ahead of them. But they lost to Edinburgh last week uh, at home. We saw that we were, you know, we, we gave Edinburgh a very, very good game last year. Probably should have beaten them in sub-zero temperatures last year in Europe. So I think kind of as, as Dunny said just then, Europe over the last few seasons has been one where we've kind of had to grit our teeth and be like, how nasty is this going to be? I think of the 65 points that, that Leinster put on us a couple of seasons ago. Now I think, albeit with the caveat that it is going to be tougher English sides, I think we can go into this with confidence that we do have a very strong squad. We are on a bit of a high at the moment. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think definitely in terms of selection for these these early fixtures, I'd, I'd like to see us go full guns because if you're not trying to put your best foot forward and compete in Europe in you know, top flight, you know, the ultimate competition, then, you know, what, what are we here for? So yeah, a bit of a rant, but um, I'm very excited and I must admit, I do have a, a, a slight sense of optimistic expectation. Mm. Yeah, it covered, covered a lot of detail there, Tom. And, but I think one point you touched on was just around kind of team selection and, and attitude towards this. And I think that that's, that's going to be really, really interesting because there may be the thought that, that we're going really well in the premiership and, and, and we're building something. Do we do we rest here um, for two weeks and then come back? But it, it would really um, piss me off, to be honest with you, if, if that was to be the case. Like, we fight last season we fought so hard and gave everything we had to win those last five games and to scrape into the top eight to play in this competition and then if you're not going to take it seriously then then you're right what what the hell are we doing here so I don't think that will be the case and it would really really disappoint me if that was the case I would love to see us go full beans at this this is a must win game in 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 this group right so I think undoubtedly we've got so we've got Ulster here, we've got Cardiff, who are probably the worst team in the competition. And then we've got Racing and we've got Toulouse, Toulouse away. They're going to be tough games. You absolutely need to win Cardiff away and you need to win Ulster. Um, and they're our first two games. So this is a massive, um, really important two fixtures. Um, and I would love to see us go, go kind of full beans and put ourselves in with a chance as we go into January and we play Racing and Toulouse, which are the harder games, to give us a chance of, of kind of qualifying from from this pool. Yeah, and you know, you look at the the, the other group in the in the in, in the pool that you know we we know relatively well in in Quinns, and they've got to play Racing and then Racing away and then Toulouse at home. Mm. So if they lose both those games, which they easily could then suddenly their hopes probably turn away from Europe. They start to focus on their premiership campaign. So if we can start this block of games well, we can get this win, particularly against Ulster at home. Suddenly we can put ourselves in a position to get in that top four and to move forward in this competition. And that's what we want to see. We've been, we've been bottom seeds and we've been, um, you know, we've been scraps for other, for top flight European teams to feed on. And we don't want to be that anymore. So yeah, let's put our, put, you know, go big guns for this first game in particular, see what we can get out of it. Yeah, agrees. Tom, thank you for joining me. Dunny, thank you very, very much for, for joining us for the shirt giveaway. Toby, get in touch. Toby Kershaw, you have won. Get in touch and we will get that sent over to you. If you're going to the wreck, check out Black and White Butchers next to the Swift Half. 
Um, get there quick because they're selling out at the moment. They are a must-have as part of your match day experience at the rec. Enjoy the game if you're going. Enjoy a wonderful weekend of European rugby. And as always, stick behind the boys through thick and thin.